you. Uh, between Bible Fellowship and now Bridges, uh, this church we, we still consider home. <laughs> Uh, much of who we are, I become emotional in my old age, but much of who we are was really founded in those early years here. Uh, and the impact uh, that um, this body has had in Carol Mine's life uh, is immeasurable, uh, and I don't really know how to, to weigh it out. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but I, I'm just very grateful. Thanks, Cliff, for giving me this opportunity to come and speak. I've always enjoyed this. Um, part of uh, Cliff had asked me a number of weeks ago if I would do this, and I was excited and said yes. I kind of knew what I wanted to do in my head, and then I out in the belt, as we say, and uh, got home. Gee, last. Sunday morning, like at one in the morning, spent four days in Orlando, and then turned around and came here. And so uh, uh, in the process of all of that, uh, Cliff and I were talking, I guess, on Friday, and then I really began struggling with what I was going to do because it just didn't feel right. Uh, and uh, Judy, I apologize for not getting you the uh, PowerPoint uh, it all came together for me this morning. Um, and so, now, I'll leave, and, you know, I, I, this is, hopefully God's going to be here for this. But let me pray, and then we will jump into this. Jesus, thank you for this day and for this body. Uh, thank you that uh, uh, you are alive. Uh, I appreciated what Cliff had to say. We were driving home last night, Lord, from not home between one of the things, and God, we, we were like giddy kids. I mean, it was like, wow, what a privilege to be a part of these people. Listen to the things they're doing. How can we be in their presence? Um, such honor, Jesus, um, to be among your people who walk with you uh, and to be able to minister here today. Uh, and pray, Lord, that uh, you would be magnified, uh, that hearts would be encouraged, as Hebrews says, stimulated to love and to good deeds. Uh, and that from this, Lord, that as we go into this week, uh, uh, we would live in a way that would please you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of what I was thinking, is this too loud? No? Okay. I'm getting it, like feedback, uh, and so, uh, so, well, up and down, this is fun. Uh, I was thinking, you know, recently, Carol and I just uh, discovered uh, that we were on staff with Crusade for 40 years. Uh, we have, like, we're not that old. Uh, when I look in the mirror, we went to our 40th high school reunion a couple years ago, and I turned to Carol and I said, those people look old. Uh, and I feared that that's what they said when they looked at me. Uh, I don't feel old. I worked with high school kids for 10 years, so I always feel like I'm 10 years younger than I actually am. Uh, and, and, you know, and so. But what have we learned in 40 years? One of the questions that Tom asked Carol last night at the end was, uh, of, our, of our time together was, Carol, you've done this for 40 years. What key things have you learned? Uh, 
Carol is a contemplative person. Uh, and she, when we got home, said, I wish I had prepped for that because here are the five things I really would have said. Uh, I'm more spontaneous. I knew exactly what I was going to say immediately, but he never asked me. And so uh, part of what uh, I just wanted to do is to walk through today some things that we've learned about ministry, about how you do the long walk, uh, how you engage in missions. Um, and um, you may have in your bulletin uh, that we're going to go to Titus chapter 2. If you have pencils, scratch that, uh, because now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start in verses 35, and we're going to go to 10, one. Uh, for part of 10.1 and then 10.5. But let me tell you a little bit of my story. Many of you, uh, some of you may know this. Uh, I stutter. Now, how, how, how many of you have seen the King's Speech? You seen the King's Speech? Okay. I used to talk like that. Seriously. I used to... In fact, I couldn't do this. <laughs> I was terrified to get up in front of people and speak. I could not talk. And uh, in college, my friends called me Jim Jim uh, because when they asked me what my name was, I said, Jim. Uh, and so uh, I'm a stutterer. Uh, and every time I opened my mouth was the most terrifying moment of my life. Because the moment I opened my mouth, somebody laughed. Or, for those who were always in a hurry, it was always, can you get to the point? So if you really want to get under my skin today, just come and say, can you get to the point? And every negative emotion from years will well up inside of me, and I want to strangle you. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, but it all goes back to my not being able to verbalize what was going on in my head. For another day, I will tell you the story about how God moved me from that to what you hear today. Uh, but it was a, 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 truly a miracle. But when I came to Christ, the guy that led me to Christ, whose name was also Jim, uh, he told me, uh, first thing, I come to Christ, and he says, well, your best friend lives down the hall. His, his name was Lee. He said, when are you going to tell Lee about Jesus? And I go, what? He says, when are you going to tell Lee about Jesus? And I go, ah, you know. And so anyway, I, uh, he, we, we went to some training. We learned how to use the four spiritual laws. Uh, so I went down and knocked on Lee's dorm room. And, and if for those of you familiar with the four laws, my first day, I literally, I went through the entire four laws like that. It took three hours and 15 minutes. I mean, it just it felt that long. I don't know how long it took. And I got to the end. If Those of you who have been trained, you'll see you get to the end and you say, would you like to pray this prayer? And he looked at me and said, yes. And I looked at him and said, how can that be? I stuttered through this whole thing. Uh, I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. I'm ashamed. I am, yeah. I just wanted to leave that room. And he said, yes. And he said, your life's changed. If this is what's changed your life, I want it. And Lee prayed Christ with me that day. Uh, 
then Jim says, you know, you ought to go to the church and share your testimony. I go, what? Get up in front of a group. So I went in front of a group, and I shared my testimony. Um, and then we went to Daytona Beach. I came to Christ in December of 72. In the spring of 73, we went on a project down to Daytona Beach, and we spent the week out there on the beach telling people about Jesus. Uh, and the thing that I just responded. They said, you should do this. I said, okay. Uh, and part of what in those early years helped me into missions was I just said, okay. When somebody whom I respected and was in leadership spiritually came and asked me, I said, okay. And I went and I did it. Uh, and so part of, if you look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it starts off, and um, I have really, I am sorry, this is here, I'll put this up like this. Uh, I no longer travel with a Bible, uh, <laughs> and so uh, everything now is on my iPad. Um, and so, um, in Matthew 9, 35, it says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest harvest. Then in chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over various things. And then verse 5, and Jesus sent them out after instructing them. Okay. So the first thing was is that Jesus was going where? Through all the villages and the cities. Okay. Or cities and the villages. Um, and this is a very counterintuitive counter. I mean, if we want to make an impact today, where do we go to? The major city places. <laughs> you know, we go where the influencers are. We go where the power brokers are. We go to the places where we can have the greatest influence with the least amount of effort. Uh, and that's not a bad thing to do. That was part of Paul's strategy as he went from city to city. But Jesus went from village to village. Okay. He not only went from city to city, he went from village to village. And when he was in the villages, what was he doing? Three things. What was the first thing? He's teaching them. What was he, te what was he te teaching them? Turn to Matthew 5. I just love this section of Matthew. Um, In Matthew 5, I think starting like verse 21, uh, there's a series of you have heard that it was said. And the first one is you have heard that it said you should not commit murder. And he says his conclusion of this whole thing was, but I say to you if you're angry with your brother, and then he says if you call your brother a dimwit or an idiot, 
uh, you're worthy of the fires of hell. How many of you have ever driven down the street here, let's say on the 60 or the 91, and somebody cuts you off and you say, you idiot. Okay, you're worthy of the fires of hell. Uh, You know, that's Jesus very clear. Or how many of you have ever done this to yourself and you've done something really stupid? Idiot. Okay? Uh, Jesus had something to say to us here. (laughs) Okay? He's saying that you have heard us said not to commit murder, but if you do those things, you're murdering yourself. Suicide. Every time you condemn yourself, suicide. Every time you condemn somebody else, call them a dimwit or an idiot or stupid. Uh, you know. Then he goes on and says, you have heard us said you shall not um, lust. I don't have it written down here. Uh, what does he say? What's, what's the next one? Not commit adultery. Yes. Not commit adultery. He says, but if you, you know, linger long on the female, <laughs> uh, you know, you've already committed it. From there he goes on not to divorce, and then he talks about let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then he talks about retaliation. And then he talks about loving your enemy. Which of those six behaviors have any relation with God? They're all horizontal. Jesus went from village to village to village teaching us how to get along with one another. Okay? He went from village to village teaching us how to get along with one another. So when he taught... He taught us the basic, if you were doing this in the dimensions of man, a psychosocial, emotional <laughs> kind of how to get along. And, uh, but he also preached the good news of the kingdom. So that was, he then taught about how to be right with God. And then he met our physical needs. He healed everybody, he healed every disease, every sickness. And so when Jesus went he had a very holistic approach to ministry. His approach to ministry was not simply share the four laws in my frame, Uh, you know, a wonderful thing to do. His frame of reference was teach them how to get along with one another, teach them how to be right with God, and take care of their physical needs. He had a very holistic approach. Um... And so part of what I learned in this process of my journey, my long, thank you, Cliff, I like that so long, is to engage, to engage people where they are. <laughs> Not to expect people to come to me, but me to go to them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to people where they were, and he engaged with them. And so the very first thing that we need to learn to do if we're going to have a, a you know, fulfilled, to walk with Jesus, to follow G, 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 Jesus over the long haul, is to engage. A lot of times, we sit and we wait for somebody to come and ask us, or we'll say somebody else is going to do that, or we sit and we say, I'm not equipped for that. Hey, I was a stutterer. What's the one thing I'm not equipped for? talking. Uh, And yet, 
I, I chose to engage. I chose to engage. And so the very first thing we need to do if we want to have a long-term missions strategy is we need to go where the people are. We need to meet their whole needs. And we need to choose to engage. Now, how do we know what to engage in? I, it's just, I, here's the simplest thing. What do you have a heart for? <laughs> when you walk into a situation, what do you see? What, what pains you? What irritates you? What do you see wrong or broken? What do you want to fix? <laughs> That's the Spirit of God working within you, saying, this is where I want you to, to engage. And so we've got to go where they are. We've got to meet them holistically. And we just need to engage. Uh, as we do that, then a second thing will take place. If you look at, I go back to Matthew chapter 9. It says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And so when Jesus was engaging, his heart was broken. <laughs> okay. Some of us engage uh, very distantly. Okay. We engage by watching the nightly news in the comfort of our own living room. We engage by reading a book. You know, Those are not bad ways of engaging. But what they don't do is they don't give you face-to-face. And when you engage face-to-face, and you're, I was telling a- a- Amy last night, is that when we moved to Belgrade and we learned Serbian, and we were there, and as after about a year and a half, I had enough of the language down that I could do more than baby talk. And I was just so happy. Okay, now let's go back to my stuttering. Okay, so now you try to learn a second language, and the Serbs are brutal. You know, if you say something wrong, they're all over you, like white on rice. And so every time I open my mouth to try to verbalize something, no, that's not the way we say it. Oh, you're an idiot. Why don't you talk as good as Carol? Carol talks as, you know, and oh, you know, God's great grace, I endured. Uh, but once I learned the language, they started talking to me like an adult. And you know what I saw? I saw their pain they finally had an opportunity to share with me what was going on deep inside of them. And that creates compassion. When you see it from a distance, it's pity. <laughs> when you see it face to face and you engage with it and your heart, your whole insides, the word compassion there talks about the bowels being dis- dismembered almost. Um, you know, uh, because you're just so much in pain. How do you do that? Is you do that face to face. You do that when you're with somebody, and when you're with them, and you say it, it breaks your heart, and you have compassion. And when Jesus looked at them, what he saw was uh, they were distressed and dispirited. Those are really nice words. Okay, the word for distressed means to be skinned. Okay. And so he saw them as people who were flayed alive. (laughs) Now, you imagine, I don't know, I can't imagine. I mean, that's pretty brutal kind of torture, you know. But the idea is that when your skin is removed, 
you're open and you're vulnerable and you're unprotected. <laughs> you know, and you just ooze. Jesus looked at the people and, you know, I mean, they looked normal to everybody else, but he looked at them as oozing people. <laughs> okay? Uh, dispirited comes from... Uh, it, uh, the Hebrew equivalent to this talks about in Psalm 23 is where a, a sheep is cast down and sometimes a sheep will have so much uh, not fur, wool, there you go uh, on them or they're really heavy that they'll get oh I should have asked you <laughs> yeah. and they'll flop up on their back and their little legs will go like this and they can't turn themselves and if they don't get turned their gut fills with gas, and it smothers them to death. And so when Jesus saw them, they looked flayed and cast. <laughs> you know, how do we learn, how do we allow God to call us into something? You want to go back and be a midwife. How? Because you read it in a book, you saw a call to midwife, you know, on B BBC. I mean, those things do things. You were there. You saw need. So as we engage, we see need. <laughs> and when we see need, God calls out that compassion. Uh, and so when he calls that out, then we have direction. <laughs> uh, and so part of what, in my years of ministry, People will say to me, Jim, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God had me to do. The very first thing I always say to them, do everything. Just go get involved. You know, just go get involved. And as you just go get involved, God will begin to show you what irritates you, what agitates you, what, what, where you see need, and that will create compassion. <laughs> And then that compassion will move you into a direction. Uh, and so, um, so you have, um, I le I let me tell you a story about how God did this in my life. Uh, I was senior year at Penn State. Uh, uh, you know, when you're senior in college, you're figuring out what you're going to do with your life afterwards. Learning has always fascinated me. I love learning. I love how people learn. I, I just, just the whole process of learning, and I was going to go get my master's degree in how people learn. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I had this overwhelming sense that God wanted me to go back to my high school and ask the principal if I could have an assembly to share with my entire high school that I graduated from what Jesus had done in my life. Okay, Neil, let's take a vote here. How many of you think that's the stupidest thing you ever heard? Oh, come on, be real. I did. I thought, unbelievable, you want me to do what? And so I went home over spring break, and I went up to my high school, and I drove around the parking lot for a half hour. You know, and finally I left. I said, this is stupid. This can't be God. God would never. And I went home, and, and God and I talked. He talked. I listened. Next day, I went back up. I went into the principal's office, I said, and he recognized me. Four years later, he said, Jim Wonder, how you doing? I go, oh, I'm doing great. And then he says, come on back in the office. Tell me what you're up to. And so I told him what I was up to, and I told him about how Jesus changed my life. And, 
you know, is there any possibility of just sharing this? It was a small high school. We all knew one another. Uh, and he said, sure. When, when do you want the assembly? <laughs> and so uh, we set up an assembly. Uh, and um, a couple days before I was going to come down and do it, uh, he uh, called up and said, Jim, uh, some things have happened. We can't do the assembly anymore. And I said, praise God. Uh, yeah, there's nothing great about missionaries. We just are faithful. You know, so anyway. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and then he said, so what I did is I set you up in six classrooms. Do you mind going to six classrooms? Oh, sure. You know, they're smaller groups. I felt more comfortable there. And after being in six classrooms where I shared my testimony with all the brothers and sisters of my friends, uh, you know, I came out of there, and you know what I saw? I saw people distressed and dispirited, cast down, sheep without a shepherd. And I said, I want to work with high school students. All of my friends, I was the only one of my friends who went off to college. The rest of them went into some kind of industry or business. And I thought, who, who's reaching all, I mean, if you, you know, I was crusade, so it's like where we were a college ministry. How do you reach people if they don't go to college? You know, and uh, that Christmas before, this was like May, the Christmas before, I heard somebody talk, and he said, the high school is like the neck of an hourglass. Everybody goes through high school. The future president goes to, is, is in a high school right now. The future CEO of IBM is in, you know, high school right now. And the future homeless person is in a high school right now. If you want to reach a culture, the way to do it is high school students. Well, that captured me mentally, you know, and so I'm processing that. I said, well, you know, that, that, that makes sense. That's logical, you know. But when I went and I spoke to those six classrooms of kids, all I did is share my testimony and have them come up afterwards, and you look in their eyes, and you see emptiness, and you see loss, and you see, you know, it's just like, so God captured my mind in December, and he captured my compassion in May. And at that time, I had made a decision to come on staff with Crusade and join the high school ministry of Crusade. Uh, but it was how? engaged. <laughs> God called me to go to my high school, the most terrifying thing one could ever think, and to speak, I, you know, and I, I chose to do it. Uh, now, God had built up a number of things to the point that brought me to that great act of faith, uh, but the bottom line was I sensed God telling me to do it, so I went and I did it. I engaged. And in the process of engaging, he created in me compassion. Now, I am a driver. Uh, uh, if any of you are familiar with the DISC test, D-I-S-C, D stands for driver, I stands for influencer, uh, S stands for steady, uh, C stands for compliant. They, they like rules. And, uh, you know, I, I have absolutely 
no D in me, driver, but I am driven as a person. So I don't know how that works. Uh, and part of what I do is when I set my mind to something, I, I, I just do it. Uh, a lot of you are probably like that. You just, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. What do I need to do to get there? And you just apply yourself and you get it done. And so in my early years in ministry, uh, as I write here, it's like uh, I worked harder. And then I realized that working harder wasn't always the right thing to do. So I, then I began to work smarter. Uh, and, 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 and that helped a whole bunch. But it was an issue of scope. How much could Jim Wonder do? How much influence could Jim Wonder have by Jim Wonder's self? You know, uh, last night we were talking, uh, and I was sharing the story about how we worked at Riverside Poly High School. Uh, we had a phenomenal ministry going on there until the principal called me in one day and said, you're gone. Uh, and uh, it's a, a story for another day, but... Uh, I remember standing outside that school and saying, the week after uh, I was gone, one of the teachers in the school had an all-school, he's in the quad, and he talked about communism and the value of communism and why we should all be communists. So they boot me, but they allow this communist teacher to do a whole school thing about communism, and I realized that if I were going to make a difference, I had to multiply myself. I had to move it from what I affectionately called the Jim Wonder Show uh, to a multiplying myself. Uh, And that experience was one of the best experiences of my life. because it moved me from a me, myself, and I to a how do I include others. Now, we had a great ministry. A lot of kids were involved, but I was at the center of it all. Uh, And so how do I move it from me at the center of it all? Um, And and, uh, that's the next verse. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, this is... Jesus changes metaphors here. The first metaphor is that the people are like what? Sheep without a shepherd. So if you were to continue the metaphor, you would think he would continue a shepherding metaphor. But he moves it from a shepherding metaphor to a harvesting one. Why does Jesus move it from a shepherding metaphor to a harvesting one? out a shepherd are free for the picking. When people are without a shepherd, they're, they're ripe for picking by whomever belong. Uh, when Carol and I, when, uh, one of the areas we do crossroads in is Moldova. Moldova is the poorest country in Eastern Europe. Uh, the Uh, parents will often, because there's no work, they will leave the country and one parent literally will go to Russia and the other parent will go to Paris or some other place in Western Europe. They will earn incomes and they will send money home. 
the amount of money sent back into Moldova is equivalent to the entire GNP of the country. Okay? We have a very fractured home environment there. You have children left with older siblings, grandparents, uncles and aunts, uh, and excuse me, what very often happens is uh, without the, any kind of parental guidance, care, direction, provision, they were flayed, <laughs> okay? So they were open, and what happens is a guy comes along and says to a young girl, he says, hey, you're really cute, you could be a model, or I think you could be a beautician, or, and they begin to just describe to these girls what their future could be. And he said, all we need to do is get you training, and we'll pay for it. And so these girls, without any adult guidance, are sheep without a shepherd. Well, you know the rest of the story. The next thing you know, they're in the sex slave trade. They're carted off to Turkey, and they, the guy says, okay, your training is going to take place in that room, and they go down that room, and thus begins their life of down, downward spiral of sex, abuse, shame, drugs, uh, with no way out. Did they enter that because they wanted to be prostitutes? <laughs> they entered it because they were hungry. <laughs> uh, they entered it because they lacked a shepherd. <laughs> they entered it because they didn't. They just wanted relationship. They they wanted to be something. Uh, and so Jesus says that a people who are without a shepherd are ripe for the picking by anybody. And so how do we take advantage? Pray. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest. It's always fascinating to me what Jesus does. I would have thought he would have said, we're organized. Uh, I thought he would have said, let's go out and politic, uh, or, or, you know, I wanted an action verb, you know, uh, and uh, one of the things that God has taught me down through the years is that prayer is the greatest action verb that we can engage in. It is usually what we do at the end when nothing else has worked, and Jesus says it's what we should do at the front end before we work. <laughs> Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Okay, so they're ripe for the picking, so what do we need? We need more people. Don't go out and recruit more people. Don't go out, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest. Uh, we do not pray enough. If there's one thing after 40 years of, doing, uh, uh, of being involved in ministry, and I pray. Uh, I'll tell you a few things in my life. I pray, I fast, I fast every Wednesday, uh, I have fasted 40 days twice, uh, I fast regularly. I, prayer and fasting are a part of my life, and I get to this age, and you know what I say? I should have prayed more. <laughs> uh, the job's too big. <laughs> it's too big. Uh, and so uh, we need to pray. So the first thing he says is pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And then, uh, this is my last part, and I'll wrap up with the story. Uh, 
So what did Jesus do? He took the guys who were following them. He equipped them and sent them out. He multiplied himself. Do you know one of the most frightening things in my life is when I allowed Cliff to work? You know, you know, down in Riverside uh, City College, there's a group of you guys down there doing ministry, and it's just like, I want to control this. Make sure it works right. I want to be in charge, and you have to let them go. <laughs> Sending out laborers is an absolutely frightening thing because you have no idea what the process is going to result in. But it is the only thing we can do. So they were following him. He equipped them. He instructed them. And then he let them go. You were hearing me last night sharing about with Crossroads, those of you who are there. And this is a process of where we are right now. In the last couple of years, we've trained 100, almost 200 people around the world to do Crossroads. And once I leave, I have no control. I have no idea what they're going to do with it. I don't know if they're going to do it right. But I have prayed to the Lord of the harvest, and I have entrusted them to him. I have instructed them. I've worked my tail off to make sure they have both right knowledge and right practice and right values. Okay? So if I can work on knowledge, values, and practice, I have to let them go. And if we're going to build the kingdom of God, this is the critical point. Up to this point, it was the Jesus show. Jesus did everything up to this point, and they just followed. From this point on, they were engaged with him in ministry. And when the 12 went out, he wasn't there to protect them. He wasn't there to tell them what to say. He wasn't there to tell them what to do. They came back, and in Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12. In Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72. This is frightening stuff, but it is absolutely essential. So you engage. Okay, you get involved. And then as you get involved, you look for what the Spirit of God agitates you with, <laughs> you know? And that agitation, compassion. You follow that compassion, and you in, get involved in the thing that makes you passionate. I did inner city ministry twice. I will be perfectly honest. I have no compassion, in this sense, for inner city work. I just don't. It's a great thing. I have a lot of friends that are involved with it. I, I'm glad they are. I've done it twice. No interest. You know? Uh, you know? But there are other things that have captured me. And that's what I'm involved in. Uh, you know, I think working with teachers who train our children, who give us access to parents... I can't think of a greater place in all the world to work, you know, because I can have such an impact with doing so little. Uh, and, and so that, the greatest impact with doing so little, I'm essentially lazy, I guess. I, you know, and then so I just want to apply myself in a place where I can have the greatest impact. That's, that's what drives me. Uh, so what drives you?
How do you know what drives you? Engage. And then once engaged, you got to multiply yourself. And you got to let it go and trust that the God of the universe is at work in the people that you've entrusted this to. Let me tell you one story, and I'll wrap this up. Uh, there is a man and his wife, uh, Suman and Chandri. They're Sri Lankans. Uh, they, uh, three or four years ago, went to Philippines to get their master's degrees in education. While they were in the Philippines getting their master's degree, they came a lot across crossroads. And they were trained to use a part of their internship was to do something in a local school. They didn't know what to do. They came across crossroads. They got trained, and then they started doing crossroads in the schools. And as you start teaching young people how to have healthy relationships in the context of good character, well, everything began to happen. They saw all these kids' lives change. They had access to parents. Other teachers were asking them what to do. You know, just wide open doors. So what did they do? They went and recruited six other people from the university they were going to to come do this with them. Okay? And so they engaged. <laughs> and then they had compassion, and then they recruited others to come with them. At that point, uh, two years ago, we did a trainer's train 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 training, and they were part of our training team uh, that we uh, equipped to be able to teach, you know, to train teachers to do crossroads. Uh, our hope uh, was that when they went back to Sri Lanka that they would actually start crossroads there. Uh, and sure enough, they went back home last spring. They immediately met with the Minister of Education, who said, this is a fascinating thing. Why don't you try it out somewhere first? So they went to the university, and uh, they have, uh, I don't know how they cut this deal in the university, but they have 70 senior year education majors that they are training to do crossroads. And they're taking them through that this year, and then through, now, 70 education majors, when they graduate, they're going <laughs> out in the boot, uh, and they will do crossroads there. So they have a wide open door in Sri Lanka to do crossroads. Now, how did they get there? They engaged. <laughs> they came and said, we're teachers. We want to grow more as teachers. And they came. They went to the Philippines from Sri Lanka. And then they did crossroads. Okay, as they did crossroads, it just built their passion. It built their zealousness. It built their desire to engage. You know, so how do I brag on this? I trained the people who trained the people who trained the people who trained them. And all along the ways, it's do I trust the people who trained the people who trained the people? <laughs> you know, and, and how do you participate in this? A lot of ways. As I said, much of who I am and how I think about Christianity and Christian mission came from this church. Uh, much of my practice of how I do things came from those early years in this con con congregation. But you have continued to invest in care with me. And so when I train, you train. <laughs> so when we have influence, and so Suman and Chandri, who are in Sri Lanka, are your people. You pray for I know you pray for them, but when you pray for us, you pray for them.
we're a body, and this is the most exciting thing that I love, is that as a body of Christ, we together do greater things than any one of us individually could ever do. Uh, and so I want to thank you again uh, for your involvement with our lives. My challenge to you, uh, Carol and I are at a funky age. I'm looking at who do I give Crossroads to at 62. Uh, I have a lot of mental energy left, but my body is betraying me. Uh, you know, I just don't have the energy and the oomph I used to have. I don't bounce back like I used to. I used to be able to do a trip, be gone for three weeks, come home, go into work the next day and not miss a beat. Uh, now I come home and it's a week before I go into work. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's passing this on to younger. And so if you could pray for us, that is probably one of my greatest things is, uh, and, and honestly what I'm looking at is not an American but there's a couple people overseas who ex in exemplary ways have taken Crossroads and run with it. And I'm looking at building an international leadership team for Crossroads, of which I would be emeritus, <laughs> uh, and allow them uh, to give leadership to this. Uh, but you could pray for that. I'd really appreciate it. It's a, it's a touchy time. <laughs> in part because I still have a lot in me that wants to do things. <laughs> uh, and so uh, being able to surrender or to give this over to others is a rough thing. Those of you who are uh, graying age, you understand this. Uh, you know, and so Carol and I, we really love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for everything. Go engage. Follow your compassion bring others along, pray, release it to the others you bring along. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this day, for, uh, again, what you're doing, you, you can trust. I think it amazes me is that you are the God of the universe and you entrust ministry um, and uh, enable us to entrust others. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you. Uh, help us to see with your eyes, to hear with your ears. Feed in our hands to move uh, in engagement uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Take my life and let it be.